Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 951 with Scott Landers. I mean, in general, I'm not a fan of pay to play. If you're going to advertise, that's one thing. But this question of of ranking just because I'm I'm able to pay 5% more commission is tricky. Let's say. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. You and your restaurant staff work harder than ever these days, handling online and delivery orders, updating menus, and the list goes on. With everything on your plate, it's easy for phone calls to go unanswered, but missing even one phone call means you're losing business, which is why I keep recommending Pop Menu Answering. Pop Menu Answering automatically responds to incoming calls and handles your guests' most frequently asked questions 24-7, like, do you take reservations or what are your hours? This ensures that those guests aren't neglected in the first interactions with your restaurant. Pop Menu Answering even allows you to customize your responses to popular questions, send follow-up links, take messages, and escalate more complex questions to your staff. Never miss another call with Pop Menu Answering. For a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month and learn more about Pop Menu's full collection of tools at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, it, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. With excitement, allow me to welcome back on the show for a second time, co-founder and sustainability engineer of Figure 8 Logistics, Scott Lander. Scott, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am ready. Dude, I'm super excited for today's conversation. Uh, On my way down here on the train, I was listening to our first conversation and you had such great advice, such a detailed, great advice and uh, what we're going to be doing today. And if you want to listen to that first episode, it's episode 777. Almost two years ago, we recorded that like right off the heels. It was, I think, February of 2021. Mm-hmm. Oh, was it 2021 or 2020? Was it 21? 21. Yeah. Feels so, like a lifetime ago. I know. So um, it, it's going to be interesting. I mean, the world was going through a lot of change there. Obviously, we're in a world of acceleration, especially around the world delivery and the technology. A lot of resources was going into that vertical. And I'm sure that over the past two years, it's evolved a lot. So we're basically going to have the same conversation we had two years ago, but two years later and to see, is it still accurate? So I cannot wait to dive into that. 
But first, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Yeah. So one of our values here at Figure Eight is, uh, <laughs> let me get this right. Uh, sl- oh my god. Um, we can clean this up too. Don't. Yeah. Don't Slow is smooth, and smooth is fast. Slow is smooth. Let me say that again. Slow is smooth. And smooth as fast. Dissect that. What do you mean? Yeah. By so um, this is one that I actually got from my dad, who was a fireman for over 25 years. And when you're in you know a difficult situation, uh, whether it's restaurants or a fire or really just approaching any kind of complex situation, recognizing that you know everybody wants to go fast, and you mentioned acceleration, and we live in a very fast-paced world, um, but really you want to look for smoothness. Mm. And so it's almost like slowing down. You know, to get your pacing right, make sure you get a smooth process. And that smooth is actually the fastest way to get results. So yeah. here at Figure 8, we're all about sustainability, taking a long-term approach, not necessarily sprinting quarter by quarter, but really slowing down, making sure things are smooth, and then recognizing that a smooth process in the long run is the fastest way to go. That is not the first time I've heard that quote, but it's a great quote, and I'm happy it's being echoed. And what, what goes through my mind when I hear that is if you don't have time to do it right the first time... What makes you think you're going to have time to do it twice? Yeah, and really making sure to to focus on you know those those key things that really are important, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of doing ten things eighty percent, maybe you're doing five things at a hundred percent. Yeah, man, I really love that. I think it also kind of reinforces this. I wouldn't call it a mantra, but one of my definite like I I find the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know anything. But one thing that <laughs> hasn't changed is that I think doing less is better doing less doing a few things really well is better than trying to be everything to everybody it's definitely one of those themes that seems to echo and show up a lot so um a little bit more about you just before we we dive in we kind of got into your backstory last time but if you did not take my advice and go back to episode 777 before listening to this listeners i I highly recommend you go do that to kind of see the evolution of the the world of delivery and um what we're gonna be talking about today but you you're a, a, a mit graduate so i mean that's a good testament to your your credentials right there alone you worked at dig in you you were hired on with them to basically help figure out their logistics right around around delivery so you're you're a civil engineer you figure things out right correct you're you're a systems minded individual you figure things out and you're a good person to be talking to uh but i mean what are the biggest changes since since the past two years i mean we're going to dive into all the different verticals uh but like in like if one thing comes to mind like what's been the biggest evolution around delivery or I should just call it native delivery. Yeah, I think when we when we were talking two years ago, you know, it was the depths of COVID, and it was really this question of either I have it or I don't. And when people still couldn't come into restaurants, and the only way you could get to them was by delivering, if you didn't have some kind of delivery program, you didn't have much of a business. And a lot of restaurants closed either permanently or temporarily until they could bring their on-premises business back. Now on-premises is back, but delivery is still here to stay. Yeah. So, so it's a question of now, how do I make delivery a sustainable part of my business? Yeah. You know, it's not just enough to have it, but how do I make it really work for me? So your title, sustainability officer, right? Was that the sustainability engineer? engineer. Yeah. What exactly is a sustainability engineer? So, you know, starting with engineer, which is how I was trained, you know, how I worked before I got into restaurants, it's really taking, you know, to your point, this problem solving mentality of working within a constrained set of resources to engineer an outcome, right? So we talk a lot about sustainability, right? Whether that's sustainability in terms of work-life balance and humans, sustainability in terms of the hardware we use, right? Whether it's a bunch of iPads or plastic containers, 
sustainability in terms of of the software and technology we use. Not only is it technology that works for me, but do I have my data? Am I making the most use of it? All of that ultimately leading to financial sustainability, right? If it doesn't make money, it doesn't make sense. So how do you engineer sustainability across those three elements? Okay, got it. Um, so I mean, it's, I've never seen that title before. So I was like, I need to, I should have probably led with that title because it is really interesting. So um, back to that question. So this this idea of before you're focusing on the kind of helping restaurants onboard to the world of delivery, because that's the only option they had, uh, it's sticking around, like you said, delivery is not going anywhere. Uh, but now it's talking about like how do we make sure that delivery is constantly evolving and staying relevant is kind of what I'm hearing. Is that a good summary? Yeah, that's right. Is making sure that that everything that you've built right yeah. over the last two years is still working for you. Got right? it. There was a lot of of building things very quickly to survive. Um, kind of signing up with the first point of sale, the first oh, yeah. online ordering system that walked in the door just because you had to make decisions quickly. You're giving me anxiety right now. I'm thinking about <laughs> feeling the compassion for these restaurant tours like two years ago. Yeah. You know, like all this stuff is like their world is crumbling around them and they have to make a decision on what delivery platform to use. Mm-hmm. And like, what do you like? This is the last thing I want to think about. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was so much, it's such an overwhelming vertical of options. Right. Yeah. And, and the options have only multiplied since then mm. right there's there's more options um there's more overlap right originally it was like what your point of sale does your online ordering system doesn't do and so you need both now those worlds are very blurry right point of sale systems offer their own online ordering you're seeing online ordering systems starting to get into you know functionality that was more like your point of sale uh and so a lot of it is i have all this technology um it's working and i'm getting orders but my managers are still running around trying to manage all these tablets. I have a bunch of data that I'm collecting, but no one's looking at it. So I'm not really getting the most value out of it. Are you even collecting data? Right. Depending are are you even collecting it? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, are you even looking at your online reviews? So it's really taking a step back and saying, how do I make sure that this works for me ongoing, right? Where it's not just a delivery only world or an on-premises only world, but a world where they have to work together. Got it. Um, so, man, there's a million different directions we could go in right now. But what I'm kind of curious about is um, this idea of, okay, so we mentioned that like the pandemic hit and all of a sudden you had to get on delivery because it was your only option because you couldn't, if you were a restaurant that relied heavily on the, the in-house experience, that option was basically pulled out from underneath you. So like you pivot, you adapt, like what can I do to stay mm-hmm. alive? Okay, let's let's do delivery or takeout, whatever you had to do. Um, now that we're, I don't, every time I say this, I'm like, I'm afraid I'm jinxing it, but I got a little piece of wood right in front of me, so I'm going to knock on it before I say this. It feels like we're out of this thing, right? We're out of the pandemic. The restrictions are kind of lifted. You can even go on an airplane without a mask now. It's great, right? Um, has... Has there has the demand for delivery like I, I'm assuming it has gone down, but it's still there, right? It's still higher than it was pre-pandemic. So it's still higher than it was pre-pandemic. There's a net lift. What yeah. is that net lift? Do you know like is there thirty percent? So thirty percent higher. We're thirty percent higher than we were pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. but it's not taking up thirty percent of our business. Um, is it like generally speaking? For some, well, when you think of not just delivery, but let's kind of broaden that to online ordering, right? Because a lot of the same systems for delivery also benefit your pickup. You know, there are some companies that are seeing that as high as 50%, right? I think Sweetgreen put out a report recently where, 
you know, they're like 60% digital or something. Wow. Um, so all their orders are coming in either for pickup. When you say digital, you mean for pickup or delivery. Correct. Got it. Um, so what's that trend looking like? Is it speeding up? Is it flatlining? I'd say it's flatlining. You know, delivery spiked very high and it's kind of settled down now to what I'd call more of a steady state while on-premises has come back. Uh, but even looking at the mix within digital ordering continues to change, right? As there's a labor shortage with drivers, you know, restaurants are pushing you to order pickup, right? Domino's is the kind of the key example of this, of paying you to come pick up your own order. Yeah. What I would call like self-delivery, right, is pickup. Uh, you've also seen a key difference in catering, right? Catering was huge for a lot of restaurants in 2019, and then it totally evaporated in 2020. Now that's starting to come back, right? I think offices lagged, in, in when they were coming back from the general population. But now offices are back. Maybe it's not five days a week. I think I hear a lot of three-day-a-week, kind of a Tuesday through Thursday situation. Um, so how do you take advantage of, of rebuilding your catering business and that being uh, a mix of your off-premises portfolio? Got it. Uh, I mean, a lot of people, I think, were afraid during the pandemic. They're like, uh, like our restaurants, you know, never going to be the way that we like as our restaurants as we know them gone like is there going to be a less is there going to be less of a demand for in restaurant dining do you think that's true or do you think that's something that we still need to be afraid of it is in like i i my personal belief is that the world the world of restaurants has just diversified yeah it's 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 there's still going to be a need for everything but we've we're also seeing that fewer people are, are cooking at home too, or, or using, I don't know, what are, what, give me some of the examples of the other things you're seeing. Yeah, I, I think there was a big proliferation of, of meal kits and a lot of these alternative, um, you know, cook at home, uh, what I'll call experiments that restaurants yeah. ran. <laughs> right. I think a lot of those have, have gone away. Um, maybe there's now just a few staple grocery items you sell, like instead of doing a whole pasta making kit, you might just sell a jar of sauce. Yeah. Right? Um, really, you know, looking at still this question of access, right? You know, whether it's a pandemic or you're homesick or, you know, you're elderly and just can't get out or, you know, you're from a New England town, uh, it's rainy and I just don't want to leave. There's there's almost this retraining of um, behavior and this expectation yeah. now that I can get delivery, you know, when I want it. There's a new form, a new set of habits that have formed. Correct. Right. So it's like, oh, like I need to, it's cold out. Like, well, uh, like your first instinct might be to go bundle up and like warm up the car and go pick up food or whatever. But now you're like, wait a second, there's this other option. Yeah, I can just get it delivered. Yeah. And people are going to take the path of least resistance, mm -hmm. but you're still going to have those people that want, like when I go out, I'm a single guy. I live at home by myself. Like when I, I use eating as an excuse to socialize, mm -hmm. you know, like it's like, Hey, like I'm bored. I'm, I'm lonely. I want to get out of the house. I'm going to use eating as an excuse to go sit next to people at a bar and have a conversation. Right. So I don't think that's going anywhere. And a lot of people, I just want to make sure people, like I said, I think everything's just diversifying at the end of the day, we're all human beings and we all need certain things, especially the experience of other human beings. And I think it's almost baked into our DNA to go sit next to people and eat food and, and just, I don't know. I think it's, it's something that we're not going to, that's not going to go away. So if, if that's one of your fears, I would say not, don't worry about no, that. Don't worry about that. Yeah, yeah. I would say you want to embrace it for what it is, where it is. And yeah. it almost means almost kind of like a little bit more polarization, right? Which yeah. is if your business model is primarily based on dining in, 
it's got to be a great dining experience. You know, it's not not just a mediocre dining experience. If your business is based on delivery, you know, it's got to be a great delivery experience, right? There just are too many good options out there that uh, you know you you really can't kind of half ass it, if you will. Yeah. Um, and and to your point, right? What I liked about you said is you want to go to a bar, right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to a place specifically that probably wouldn't do delivery, right? Like most bars don't really get into delivery. Well, know? during the pandemic. They did, <laughs> yeah. right? But now they've, they've really swung back away to focus on that dining experience and yeah. making sure it's great. Whereas like a fast casual restaurant, right? You probably never would have went there for the dining experience, right? You went there because it was located next to your office building. Um, so now they're almost skewing more into the digital and delivery because why would I go out to a place that I'm not going to get that human connection, right? If yeah. I'm just going to go walk the line, unless it's super convenient, I might as well just get it delivered or order ahead on pickup, right? Where I can be in and out uh, in not 15 minutes, but like 30 seconds. Yeah. So how about figure eight? How, I mean, relative to the pandemic and the slowdown and this demand for, um, you know, you really had no option. You had to do delivery or pickup, right? Um, now that people are, are going back out to eat more often, is business slowing down for you guys? Or are you just accelerating because the, the pandemic really helped get your name out there? Yeah, it's um, you know, we're we're kind of tied to the hip to the restaurant industry in a lot of ways, yeah. right? Um, in a sense, we we go as the restaurant industry goes, right? So what we found is, you know, similar to what I was saying earlier about how the restaurants are having to struggle with integrating on-premises and off-premises. That's now a lot of the things that we're helping restaurants solve, which is, you know, I was a fast casual restaurant and when I was doing 80-90% delivery, it was easy, right? Everything was to go. Now that people are walking the line, I'm having to fight which do I serve first, the paper ticket for the online order or the person standing in front of me. And that's the real challenge. Or you look at um, the dispatch area, right, where all the orders are are staged to to go and you have both pickup orders for your guests that are walking on their own, as well as all the delivery orders for the delivery drivers. And so how do you make sure that's a good experience for the guests still and that they're not you know, getting knocked around by a big yeah. delivery bag. Yeah. But also, how do you make sure it's an expedient process for the delivery driver and that they can easily get in and out as well? So basically, it's it's like the same story that your job as a restaurateur literally is ex- to exist to make everyone else's life easier, mm-hmm. right? Across all verticals. One thing I'm curious about, I think most restaurateurs listening to this uh, with that question of who do I prioritize? Who do I prioritize? The in-house guest or the, the pickup and delivery orders? I think most people, their gut instinct is the in-service, like the or the in-house guest. However, when you really think about it, in-house dining is limited. You can only serve as many people as their seats or like standing room. For, I don't know how many people stand mm-hmm. and eat, but you know what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> you can only serve the, the amount of people you can hold in your restaurant. Whereas if you're doing pickup and delivery, if you if you focus on that. You, you're really not limited at all. You're basically limited to the, the amount of food you can cook, your throughput, right? So me saying that, um, would you agree that there's more opportunity in delivery and pickup as far as cash flow goes? Yeah, and, I, and I'd say that you it changes the optimization equation, right? So I'm an engineer, so I always think like, you know, how do you optimize that throughput, right? Um, the, the million dollar idea is how do you get people to want to eat at a different time, right? Like, I would love a line out the door at 3 p.m., yeah. but that's, you know, everybody's trained to kind of eat between, you know, called 1130 and 130. So yeah. that's your that's your window. So the question is, how do I get as many bowls or burritos or, or tacos 
out the door in those two hours. Right. Right. So not just looking at the menu from a cogs perspective, right? A lot of menu optimization goes into, well, what's my labor? What's the food cost? And how do I kind of prioritize my profit margin that way? It's almost like writing your menu based on prep time, right? How do I prioritize the items that I can get out the door the fastest, Got right? It. And really focus on, you know, instead of a, a dish that might take 20 minutes to pick up, that might just be an in-house only thing, right? And if I'm ordering online, if it can't be picked up in five minutes, eight minutes maybe, should I really be offering that for a to-go experience? Got it. Um, so you can kind of get more orders out by optimizing your menu and prioritizing it in, in a slightly different way. And you can change your menu from, you know, you can have different sets of menus for different experiences. Yeah. Like you can have your in-house menu and you like, that's the cool thing about the world that we live in today is like you can have like infinite amount of en- menus built in the back end of some of these platforms. Like I know toast allows you to have multiple menus. So you choose, you direct where the traffic is coming from. Say they're coming from online, you can direct them to the online menu, mm-hmm. right? So there's really so much mobility, or what's the word, malleability in the way the world we work. And that's one of the beautiful things about digital is that it's so malleable. You can literally custom tailor it to what you need and your demand. Um, so the last time you were on the show, the the the, the pillars we use, I don't know, if, what do you call them? Your cycle, the the stages, uh, the humans the f- hardware software, the four. Oh. You, like, we talked about uh, oh, the, the human, delivery cycle, hardware, yeah, yeah. software. And delivery um so, so so there's there's two things going on there there's oh i see i, I see there's now. the delivery cycle which is yeah you know the process that every order has to go through whether i'm ordering uh a pair of shoes or a bowl from uh, a restaurant and the first place is the marketplace right i have to place the order someone says i'm hungry i want to eat i place an order that order then goes to the kitchen where it has to be produced right you yeah. gotta you gotta actually make the order from there, you go to the logistics of how is it getting delivered, whether that's, again, a, a driver delivering at the last mile or a guest picking it up for self-delivery. Got it. And then the fourth step is feedback, right? How yep. do you make sure that, uh, you know, the same way that a manager in-store would walk over to the table and say, you know, how was your meal? When you deliver that meal, you, you've got to be more proactive and actually reach out, whether it's through a text message or an automated, you know, push notification through the app to say, hey, how was your meal? And, and was it good? So you can then incorporate that feedback into your menu and make adjustments. One more time. It's market, place, kitchen, logistics, logistics, and feedback. Yes. Um, we're going to come back. We're going to unpackage these four. What do you call them? The, the cycle? Yeah, the delivery the, cycle. Delivery cycles. Uh, we'll be right back to, to, to discuss that. You and your restaurant staff work harder than ever these days, handling online and delivery orders, updating menus, and the list goes on. With everything on your plate, it's easy for phone calls to go unanswered, but missing even one phone call means you're losing business, which is why I keep recommending Pop Menu Answering. Pop Menu Answering automatically responds to incoming calls and handles your guests' most frequently asked questions 24-7, like, do you take reservations or what are your hours? This ensures that those guests aren't neglected in the first interactions with your restaurant. Pop Menu Answering even allows you to customize your responses to popular questions, send follow-up links, take messages, and escalate more complex questions to your staff. Never miss another call with Pop 
menu answering. For a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month and learn more about Pop Menu's full collection of tools at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. We're back and we're going to dive into these uh, these different the cycles that we discussed before. The first one being the marketplace. So how has the marketplace evolved? I, I'm, I would imagine this is probably where most of the evolution has taken place. This is, this is really the trick, right? Is yeah. how do you write the menu for an online order, right? Or for a digital ordering experience. We were talking earlier about really um, almost polarizing your menus, right? Like pushing them to the extremes of this might be only available for dine-in. This might be actually only available for delivery. Um, thinking about how people make those decisions, right? When I walk into a diner is the example I always love to use, right? There's pages and pages, hundreds of items. You can get anything you want. If I'm looking at that on my phone, my little, you know, whatever, four-inch iPhone yeah. or something, I could be scrolling for what feels like an eternity, right? So the menu you present online might only have 20 or 30 items. Now, what you can do is you can get really clever about how flexible those 20 or 30 items are. Modifiers are your friend, right? Um, so instead of listing 10 different sandwiches, each as their own item, you might have one item that's sandwich and then 10 modifiers underneath it. Okay. So the way it presents when I'm scrolling through, it feels like I can discover it and sort through that menu much faster. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of menus too that are like, here are the options for what you can have on it. Mm -hmm. Is that better or what do you not want on it? Like, here's what comes on it. Tell us what you don't want on it, right? Like a list of ingredients. And would you like to stick anything off? Yeah. And, and really what you're talking about there is how do you eliminate special instructions or yeah. special requests? This is like the, one of the banes of, of an online order is, uh, you know, you, you get the bowl and you finish going to the line and you've made it. And then you realize at the bottom of the ticket, there's some weird special instruction, like hold the cheese. And it's yeah. like, it's a quesadilla. Like, but, and I'm, what, what am I supposed to do here? <laughs> you're you're saying to the you're preaching to the the restaurant, the back of house choir. Right yes, now. people absolutely. are like they see the they see the item and they they go into talk about habits, right? They just start making it, and then they like verify they they, they finish reading and then they go shit. <laughs> yeah, and they have to start from scratch. Exactly. Uh, that that's so frustrating. So one of the things you talked about is. Um, Instead of listing all the sandwiches, you say sandwich, and then underneath that with the modifiers, you give the option of the, sh the sandwich. What are some of the other tricks that you can do to clean up that, that digital marketplace experience? Yeah, I mean, the number one trick, um, not only to make it a, an expedient ordering experience for your guests, but also to increase check size, is start with combos. And I know that combo can be a dirty word depending on what kind of restaurant you fancy yourself as, but you can call it a meal or a bundle or a... Me prefix <laughs> right me and three right yeah um but this really is i think the the number one thing that we work on when we talk about optimizing online menus is that first section should be you know i'm gonna call i'm gonna use the word combo but should be your combo section right where it's your greatest hits right that your top pmix items are at least the ones that you want to be your top pmix yeah. items um and it comes with the entree and a side and a drink uh, and it's all for one price. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean you have to discount it, right? This is I'm not talking about discounts. I'm talking about convenience in terms of speed, right? Yeah. Is I want to be able to get in and out in 30 seconds, right? Mm -hmm. Place my order, be done, right? So that first section, not only does it uh, 
give you the opportunity to really push those key items that you want to push, but it makes it a great ordering experience for your guests because it's exactly what they want. And, and if it's a repeat guest and they're like, oh, I don't want the combo, I know what I want, then they, they can scroll on down. But particularly for that first order, you want to make it as seamless as possible. Got it. Um, so I know the last time we were talking, um, you mentioned a couple platforms. We were talking like the difference between Toast and say Bbot or Toast and um, uh, what were some of the other options we had here? I think Lunchbox is one of the mentioned. Um, but basically you have Toast, which is your POS, and they also offer online ordering. So they, it's a basically uh, in-store uh, point of sale, and it's also a digital point of sale mm-hmm. in a sense. Um, or you can use a tool like Bbot, which I don't even know. Now they, they, they were purchased by... Um, by DoorDash. DoorDash, yeah, exactly. Um, so that that is an example or was an example of a, a platform that was, was basically... They would just, just take care of the transaction for you, right? It wasn't a POS, but there were your... Say you had a legacy... Pl- uh, I think two years later, like who's using a legacy anymore? Like, I don't even know if this is worth, worth bringing it to the conversation, but how has that changed? Like, are you, are I guess where I'm, where I'm going with this is does, does toast, for example, give you, do they steer you in the right direction? Like if you're going to do online ordering, do, like, do they give you like a list of like best practices and make sure that you get onboarded the right way? Do, do they get this level of handholding that you're giving us right now? Or is it baked into the system? Yeah, I'd say, you know, there are, there are resources available. I mean, toast definitely, has much more functionality now than it did two years ago. The same is true for Square and many of your other technology yeah. partners out there. And they'll give you resources on you know how to build your bundles or how to write your menus, but you got to really do the research and, and you still have to go configure it, right? They're not going to go in and set up your menu um, and make sure that you've got everything turned into the right setting, right? There's there's for anybody who's been in the back end of Toast or, or any of these systems, there's a hundred or two hundred, yeah. you know, different settings and configurations, uh, which is really powerful in terms of being able to have the tool work in exactly the way you want it to. But you still got to go and, and take that deeper level of setup, right? They're going to make sure that your point of sale is there and it's connected to the Wi-Fi and that you can process a credit card and that the basics of it work. But it really is still on the restaurant operator to take it to that next level. So where does somebody go? Is like, is there a resource out there where people are like teaching like Toast or Square or fill in the blank POS Revel? I don't know. What are some of the other POSs that you're seeing that they're they're digital? If you want to lean in the direction of digital, uh, or pickup or delivery, was what I'm saying. Who's doing it really well? Like who's the the who are the top say three or four like one stop shop um, solutions for both in house and digital marketplace. Yeah, especially for um, you know restaurants that are starting out or that maybe have one or two locations, we we still do a lot of work with Toast um, and Square um, and even Clover. Um, if you didn't notice, um, the parent company of Clover, I think it's Pfizer, acquired BentoBox, and so now BentoBox and Clover have a really great integration together. Um, so that's an example of how these point of sale companies are evolving to really offer the full functionality of an online ordering service in a more integrated package, right? So you don't have to go out and find two or three different systems and cobble them together. You can really get an all-in-one solution. Yeah. And I, I mean, does it make, like, you tell me, does it make sense to go through all, all these like marketplace and kitchen and logistics and feedback or like, what are just like the, I'm afraid that we're, it's going to be so hard for me to stick, like to not jump around. <laughs> yeah. But like that is something that I'm really curious about. This idea of, um, like, what is your technology stack? Not as like what is one solution, but like, like you said, there's these companies that are like 
growing and instead of building solutions, they're just acquiring other companies mm-hmm. to become like a one-stop shop. So you can say, say you wanted a POS, just a POS. Well, you can have just a POS, but as you grow and as you scale, you can start flipping on switches to diversify your offering in you know, your, I guess your, your arsenal of tools. Right? Yeah. So I think the way that I would start is if you're an independent restaurant, right? One to five locations, let's call it. Right. I, I would still go with something like a toast or a square, right? That it's more integrated. It's all in one. You know, you, you're not going to maybe get the, the fanciest uh, user experience uh, in terms of all the bells and whistles and like the curved photos yeah. <laughs> that, that everybody loves. Uh, but it's going to be much easier for you to operate, right? And it's going to all work together and you're not going to have to deal with setting up integrations and worrying about, well, is that. Uh, a lunchbox issue or a toast issue or is it a beatbot issue or a square issue it's like it's all in square it's all in toast and it's just simpler right mm-hmm. and as a small restaurant that's really what you need right is, is simplicity and ease of operation as you scale maybe now you're not five locations but you're more like 15 going on 20 locations you start to look for different things right you need multi-market management right so i don't not only do i need different menus for in-store and on-premises i need different menus for my new york market versus my dc market so this is where tools like olo start to come in right um olo call it two years ago maybe even three years ago was pretty much reserved for restaurants that had more than 50 units right you had to be really big in order to make that happen um now they're offering their services to restaurants that are a little smaller and what that allows you to do is you're not just looking at menu management, but channel management, right? Can my online ordering system work for both pickup delivery and catering, right? So I don't have like catering sitting out here on the side. That's now a lot of what we're looking at, particularly as catering has come back, is I want to make sure that I have this kind of unified omni-channel experience, right? That That's a word that got thrown around a lot, you know, a few years ago and is now coming back because we have multiple channels available to us. So, yeah. so Omni, I know I'm familiar with the word omnidirectional, right? Because I was a commercial pilot and that's what a VOR is a, a thing that you navigate to in an mm-hmm. airplane, but it shoots out signals in all directions. So omnidirectional and omnichannel just means in all directions. Right. right. So, so, so having a unified experience across all of your channels. So when I walk into the restaurant and I want to, you know, tap to pay, right. When I order online for pickup or delivery, when or I catering. order for catering, yeah. right? Do all three of those channels or all four of those channels um, roll up to the same loyalty program? Yeah. Right? Because I'm, I'm still one person. I might order catering when I'm at work. I might walk into your restaurant after work, you know, or I might go out, uh, you know, to dine in with my partner uh, on a Friday night. I want all that to, to come back to me as an individual, regardless of which channel I order. But if I have to go, you know, to a different place for catering and somewhere else for delivery and somewhere else for in-store, it starts to feel kind of like a fractured experience. Yeah, I had the author of Hooked and Indistractable on the show. Um, and I mean, basically, this guy had a lot of his names escaping me. But it's like these big tech companies, the Facebooks of the world, the apps of the world, their whole thing is about creating passive least resistance and really leveraging human behavior. And behind all this, it's understanding human behavior and and how to basically go with the grain of human behavior. Mm-hmm. And humans don't like having to figure things out. So if you can create, so where I'm going with this is user experience. Yes. If your user experience, the habits, the, 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 the little things that you, that you do, whether it's a swipe or a tap that you don't have to change your, you don't have to relearn how to use every app that you're, that you're outsourcing for your, your business. If all those user experiences across all, 
all these channels, the omni-channel experience is the same, then that's a path of least resistance to your restaurant. Because I don't, me as, as a, a consumer, like I go to your restaurant online, your digital experience, and every no matter what path I go down, I have to develop a new set of habits and experiences, right? So if you can create the same experience, the same muscle memory throughout all the experiences, the digital experiences of your restaurant, that's a path of least resistance to your services. Absolutely. And, and, and within that, also looking at does it feel consistent to your brand, mm. right? To your restaurant brand that you're trying to offer. So, you know, one of the things that we look at is, you know, who are you trying to serve to, right? Are you trying to serve, uh, you know, to, to groups and, and, and family members uh, of, of kids, right? Or, 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 you know, groups of office individuals, right? Are you trying to serve more of a lifestyle experience around a particular diet, like a keto or a vegan diet? Um, and how do you make sure that your brand is clearly reflected in your menu, right? When I walk into your restaurant, you know, you still have a server that will, hey, have you been here before? Is this your first time dining with us? Do you know how it works here, right? No one's doing that online, right? And what you have to do is make sure that your menu is doing all that work for you. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, yeah. So the menu is the only real experience that someone might have with your brand if they're ordering online. It shouldn't be a challenge to order food. Correct. It should be very obvious and easy. Um, so one of the other things we talked about in terms of marketplace the first time we had you on uh, is, you know, the marketplace is basically like where, like the digital marketplace is where, how are people coming, finding you and coming to you in your restaurant online. Uh, you said that Google Maps w- was the leader at the time. Google and Google Maps was a leader at that time for directing people to restaurants. Is that still the case two years later? Yeah, I mean, the the number of near me searches still continues to be one of the most popular ways that people are discovering uh, food, right? Yeah. Particularly new places, right? Uh, you know, living in New York, the number of restaurants changes feels like every year, right? Weekly almost, right? (laughs) You know, particularly when you go through a pandemic uh, like this, there are new restaurants popping up all the time. My favorites are closing. Um, So there's this element of discovery and how do you attract new guests, right? That first time. Yeah. Are you seeing more pop-ups? Has the marketplace caught up to that yet? Pop-ups, virtual brands. I think it's starting to feel a little bit muddled, um, at least in terms of online. You know, I think the traditional pop-up in a physical sense hasn't really changed. Uh, but I am seeing, you know, local diners start to offer a dozen different virtual brands. And so you're yeah. like, whoa, where, where did all these restaurants come from? But when you dig into it, you realize there's 12 different restaurants all with the same address. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I'm, I was just curious because I don't know. I, I just see that. I think that's if you're looking to start a restaurant, I, I honestly think that's the best way to get started is pop-ups. Maybe roll that into a, a permanent virtual brand, roll that into a permanent brick and mortar, mm-hmm. right? But I'm curious with all this digital marketplace things, if if it's almost easier to start a pop-up now because it's not about necessarily location, it's about brand and making sure that brand is searchable online, right? Um, what else has kind of popped up in terms of marketplace and how marketplace and being discovered has evolved over time? Yeah, I think there's... Um you know, we continue to focus on one of our values is first party first. Now, that doesn't mean first party only. It just means that, you know, same way you're on an airplane, you get, you got to put your own mask on before you put on yeah. someone else's. You should make sure that if you're going to be, you know, selling online, that you have a website, that you have your own online ordering where people can come directly to you. Um, 
but then you also want to go market on, on other marketplaces, right? Your, your third-party marketplaces are kind of the, the traditional uh, place to think about that for food delivery. Um, and their commission structures have dramatically changed over the last two to three years, right? Uh, before, it was pretty simple, right? You can sign up for DoorDash or Grubhub or Uber Eats, and there's, there's kind of one rate, and maybe you can pay a little extra if you want to be in that top-tier kind of advertising space. Now, both in response to regulations that have come out in various states, California, New York, different cities, um, as well as just looking at this difference between placing the order and delivering the order, there's probably half a dozen commission structures now, right? And it's really important to make sure that if you're going to be on these third parties, that you're able to be found, Right, because there's this tension that restaurant operators, you know, we hear all the time is, I want lower commissions, right? I want to pay less for this. Well, you can pay less, right? You can get on, you know, DoorDash for a 10% commission, but you're not going to be found, mm. right? It's going to be really difficult for you to be discovered, right? You can do your own delivery uh, and and have, you know, DoorDash just be a marketplace only, but it's going to change how you're ranked in the marketplace. So I think the way that the algorithms are set up and how that's directly tied to what commission package you've signed up for um, has become a, a lot messier, right? And, yeah. and, and there's just a, a number of ways that you can go about that. And you got to be really smart about how you want to be discovered within those marketplaces. So in the terms of ethics, right? Um, and that's a lot of what got some of these brands in trouble is like their, their ethics of doing business. Um, do you see any ethical issues that the, what, what's does anything about some of the way that the, the practices of these third party platforms, do, does anything that's happening bother you personally as far as somebody who truly understands it and some of the slimy things that are happening? Like, does anything come to mind? I mean, in general, I'm not a fan of pay to play. Um, you know, if you're going to advertise, that's one thing. But this question of of ranking just because I'm, I'm able to pay 5% more commission is tricky let, let, let's say i i would 100 percent agree with you and that was exactly where my mind is going and like when i hear things like that happening what what goes through my mind is you got this badass restaurant operator someone who's good at delivering service uh taking care of like everybody like a, a amazing cook talented person but if they're so heads down trying to do the work of running a restaurant and they're not paying attention to like all these like little like hacks so you have somebody who might be really good at hacks, mm-hmm. right? And, and marketing their business and becoming or being discoverable. And they put all their in- energy into telling the world how great they are. But then we order from them. It's like, this isn't, this isn't that great. Mm-hmm. And then you have people that aren't really willing to do the work or all about taking the life of least resistance or the path of least resistance and, and compounding those variable things so they can go hang out on a beach. And it's just like, what kind of values are, are we injecting, you know, what are we, what are we, I don't know, man. It's just like, there's so many tricks right now that if you become a master of tricks, you can be pretty successful. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's almost like it just, it's a matter of integrity. I feel like it's just like we're, we're rewarding people for having less integrity. It it, it can feel that way. Right. (laughs) Especially, you know, in a world where there's more mistrust in technology, where virtual brands are prolific and you know, some of them are great. Some of them are a little less great. Um, traceability is kind of difficult to, to run down. Um, and then the algorithms keep changing, right? I think that's one of the concerns around building your business purely on third party, right? Again, 
first party first, which is your guests that are your VIPs, that are your repeat guests that are going to come back to you every week, every month. You really want to get them to come straight to you, right? So you have their information. There's no tricks, <laughs> if you will, as far as how the order is. Um, and, and you can really start to build that relationship, even if it is digital, right? Yeah. Whereas on the third parties, you know, you mentioned some of these hacks, right? Something like responding to feedback is going to impact how you're ranked within the algorithm, right? Yeah. And you only have 24, 48 hours sometimes to respond to that feedback before the window closes and they don't let you respond yeah. anymore. I think this is like one of my biggest issues. Like I'm, I'm all like, I get like, I get you have to use social media. I get you have to use some of these technologies and third parties to be discovered. Um, but the thing, one of my biggest issues with the digital world we live in today is that it's all based off of algorithms. Mm -hmm. So you have a bunch of humans basically reacting to algorithms and then we have a society that is just like like analog just doing what the algorithm tells us to do and it kind of it kind of scrapes the essence of business away because in my opinion business is really about relationships so you kind of say well f screw all that relationship stuff like you know like like that's just too much work like i'm just going to do what the algorithm tells me and then you have like this just bland, soulless. Like, what are we doing? Is the question. Like, that really is. In, in, in every restaurant is going to have to answer that in their own way. Is what kind of business do you want to be? Right. And making sure that you design your technology and your off premises system to work for you and not the other way around. I think yeah. we're coming off of this period where that was the only option. I had to be on all the marketplaces, I had to get the technology. And I felt like for a time, I was just working for the tablet. Mm. Now that guests are coming back and offices are coming back and restaurateurs are able to maybe take a step and say, you know, we'll do some of that soul searching and say, what kind of restaurant do I want to be in this modern world? You need to then make sure that your technology reflects that, mm -hmm. right? Because you might say, hey, I just want to wake up and make a bunch of burgers for 20 different brands and make as much money as I can. Great, right? Th there's probably a really good business model in there where someone can make a lot of money. Um, but that's not the same business as someone who wants to build a brand that is their own, maybe chef driven concept where it's unique and you're telling a story and you're connecting with the community and you're talking about, you know, your local sourcing or, uh, you know, how your chef came up with this unique mac and cheese. That's the only kind of mac and cheese in the world. It's not generic mac and cheese. It's Eric's mac and cheese. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I think you got to make that choice, right? There's not really a lot of room in the middle just to kind of show up and say, I just want to open up a restaurant. I think those days, I mean, maybe they never were here, but they're definitely gone yeah. now. It's like, you really got to commit. Is it, I want to have, uh, you know, a very tech driven virtual only kind of money making brand, or do I still want to build uh, community and hospitality and oh by the way i want to be able to deliver that hospitality yeah. right what what i think is going to be interesting one of the biggest changes i think we're going to see in the next 10 years is not just the spectrum of option as far as hey like i can just push this button or i can just blink or think of something and mm -hmm. it's going to show up at my front door mm -hmm. that's one side of the spectrum the other side of the spectrum is like the super high touch I know your name i know your life story i'm i'm your friend like i'm here 
like the, the that that human experience that we're so used to. I think people who choose that path have to be willing to charge through the nose. Yeah. You know, and I think that one of the things we're going to see is you can get a burger for $5 or you can get a burger for 40 bucks. But I really do think that people, the restaurant industry has to recognize their value in creating a more, uh, third place experience where like you go where like, you know, people where like, it's not like, like what are your thoughts as I'm saying this? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the way I look at this is, um, almost tracing the, the the economy or looking at the stock market, if you will, uh, as a proxy for the economy over the last 20 years, right? There was kind of a big crunch in a recession in 2000, 2001. There was another big crunch in recession, 2008. We're planning on an engineered recession, it seems like, in 2023. Who knows? Do you ever think we manifest these recessions? Like, we're like, better, things are going, things are getting bad. You better be ready to buck up. Do we think... That like we literally just like manifest like it, if you say it's going to happen, then people will react to the prediction. No, yeah, it, it's also inherent in and if you want to take kind of an economics digression, yeah. right? It's kind of inherent in the model of capitalism is that it has to be boom and bust, right? It is it builds to a certain point where you know it's almost like the music stops playing, and then if you have a seat, great, it all crashes down. If you didn't have a seat, you're out of the game, and then the music starts up again, right? But that's also like the natural order, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, inhale, exhale, mm-hmm. uh, like life, death. Like there's there's rhythm to everything. Um, but, the, just- but the question is is what changes during each of those cycles, right? Because you know, I breathe from one cycle to the next, and, it, and every breath is kind of the same. What we've seen, you know, at least when I look at it, uh, the evolution of even just the restaurant form factor, right? So you used to have go back kind of pre-digital right it was all dine-in you had to walk in you had these big restaurants and you sit out right and that was really the only way to get food right maybe you or you cook out or you cook at home right (laughs) exactly right um or you order pizza or or chinese food exactly right like really kind of (laughs) kind of stuff that that has really great margins and and you can mass produce right and known for delivery travels really well um so you have kind of this transition from fine dining to casual dining right then you have the transition from casual dining to fast casual dining where uh, the back of house kind of stays the same, but the front of house shrinks. Now we're having this transition from fast casual dining to just pure delivery or, or even virtual brands where you're kind of seeing this constant compression of the front of house, of the front of house. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting for sure. I mean, how much further can we go? What's next? What's next? I mean, <laughs> you know, you just get to the point where, I mean, ghost kitchens, right? Like that, yeah. that's kind of not the pinnacle, but that's one of the, the ways that this plays out is, you know, if you want to just be in a virtual world, right? You want to deliver smoothies into the metaverse, right? You don't need uh, a location at Maine and Maine with 50 seats to do that. You need a ghost kitchen, Right. I think the next thing is you 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 further compress and you start shrinking the kitchen, i.e. doing like one thing really well and that's yes. the only thing that comes out of this kitchen and it's like and then you look at removing the human element so now it's a bunch of robots doing one thing really well mm-hmm. and then you remove the cooking process where it gets you you have like this plant that just like freezes pre made meals and then you put it in the microwave and then maybe it's being microwaved while it's being delivered to you mm-hmm. you know like i think that's probably <laughs> like the evolution like it's that that constant comp like where can we take the steps out right and i think as we progress into the future like that's probably what we're gonna see a lot of that kind of stuff or even 
like um well, I don't know more vending type options where like right automats yeah exactly so I, we're really getting into this rabbit hole but uh, I'm really enjoying the conversation so I think we covered marketplace pretty well at this point we <laughs> well say. we even started talking about the kitchen there too oh that's right we, well kitchens next but one more question about marketplace um like you mentioned like the world the landscape's changing these like we mentioned there's these companies that are growing and they're acquiring other companies to become a, a, a one stop shop or uh, they're they're trying to offer you the entire tech stack in, in, in one place or or, or or under one brand. Um, you mentioned Bento Box mm-hmm. is now with Cav or not Caviar was it Caviar? No, um, um, the the same parent company as Clover. Thank you, Clover. Um, I know since we last talked, uh, Pop Menu has come to the market. One of our sponsors. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, that Pop Menu really popped the fi- the, the microphone when I said that. <laughs> um, are there any other platforms like Pop Menu? Are you following Pop Menu and what they're doing? Is that a new is that a new option on your radar? It is, yeah. There, um, I, I mean, it, in this day, uh, most of my team is more familiar with a lot of the technology. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really kind of looking at this sustainability, sustainability, yeah. and from a higher perspective. But we, we work with dozens of different technologies. Uh, you know, similarly, there are probably half a dozen aggregators, right? So, how do you now take all of these different channels and bring them into one tablet? It's not um, that you have to live with a tablet farm, right? You have lots of options to integrate. Um, so there really are a, a thousand ways up the mountain these days. So when it comes to marketplace, anything we have not discussed yet as far as the evolution over the past two years? Just that, um, you know, consumer demands continue to uh, dictate, right? So if you're not putting out great photographs, if you're not putting out great descriptions and allergens, you know, and to your point, giving people the options to modify it and customize it the way they want, uh, they're just going to go somewhere else, right? Uh, that customization is key and and making it easy to get what you want through that marketplace. Uh, but I'm really excited about, uh, you know, combinations uh, of these menu items, catering, you know, what are the ways that you can increase that check size online, right? Because especially when it comes to delivery, it costs you the same yeah. to, to, to move a mile right yeah so you want to move as many dollars as you can per mile it's the digital upsell correct yeah the digital upsell yeah and, yeah. and really it's almost um easier in a yeah. sense than yeah. than than the in-person upsell I, I think maybe they're a little bit different yeah. in terms of skill set well, i mean i have friends that work in the, the world of digital commerce and like the littlest things like changing the side of the click here but the size of the click here button or the color of the click mm-hmm. here button uh moving it like a fraction of an inch in one direction like all these things have calm like little little insignificant uh changes but if you're a brand that has hundreds of locations those little little changes start to compound and, and like it starts to add up over time um, oh yeah and- i mean what we've seen is without changing what i would call your your proper menu right yeah. what you're making in the kitchen right we're not saying you're introducing some new item or changing your cogs, your labor, but just bundling them all together and making sure that you have these add-ons and these upsells and the photographs and the descriptions. You can increase your check size 10% almost overnight, yeah. right? So if you've got a $40 check size average, that can pretty quickly go to 45 if you're not already doing combos and add-ons and bundles. And that's one of the fastest ways to make delivery more financially sustainable is to make sure that you've really mastered your digital upsell game. Yeah. So let's move on to kitchen. That was a, a, a deep dive into the marketplace, a little um, detours along the way, <laughs> but uh, kitchen. So what has evolved in the world of kitchen? I know KDS was a big part of our mm-hmm. first time um, talking. We talked a lot about packaging Are those two, like the, the two major pillars within the kitchen pillar. Yeah. I, I think that that order fulfillment 
tracked is is important, right? Making sure that all of your orders from all these marketplaces are coming into one system, right? So you're not having to manually ring them in, uh, that they're all mapping into one common menu at the end of the day, right? Um, is still important. And there's a lot of restaurants that still don't have this, right? That aren't fully aggregating everything into their point of sale, right? Um, from there is making sure you've got your ticket routing or your kitchen display system set up uh, well, that you have it first and then that it's set up correctly, right? We see both. We see some restaurants, you know, our team will go out and, and meet with new restaurants and, and go have dinner, um, you know, one, just to taste the food, but also to observe the kitchen and talk to the general manager afterwards. And I don't know how many times, you know, it'll be six, seven o'clock on a Thursday or Friday night. And there's just a, a wall of tickets, right? Yeah. And it's like, man, it, there, there are, ways to solve this yeah right like you see people just putting tickets on counters yeah right like just at the very least get like a uh, a rail you mm-hmm. know what i'm saying and just have some kind of system to keep your like your left to right you mm-hmm. know first one in last one in and just like simple systems with this with tracking that but we're talking about kds uh and the evolution and how kds is a digital platform integrating integrating with the digital world today where these all these orders are coming in digitally has has the world of kds evolved over the past two years I think more places are offering it and, and yeah. more restaurants are starting to, to get get it and, and see the value in it. Um, now where I see more of the challenge is less in the KDS and once it's made it through the line to that dispatch area. Okay. This is now what we're starting to see is the bottleneck is you've kind of solved the marketplace. They've solved a lot of, of what's happening in the kitchen, you know, whether it's having a second make line um, or or you know, changing your, your routing of different tickets. So it's like the expo station. The expo station yeah. is now, um, an, an issue. <laughs> yeah. So you <laughs> right? have the, the kitchen KDS, but now it's like, okay, like all this food's coming out of the kitchen. Where is it going? Is and this and how do I is route this delivery? it? Is yeah. This the house? Yeah, exactly. Is it for, uh, a guest that's going to come pick it up themselves? Is it for a driver? Uh, is it my own driver versus a third party driver? You know, how do I make sure that I'm giving the right, Jane S order to the right driver when I now just have more and more digital orders that I have to manage. Um, And my expo station was designed five years ago when I was doing five or 10% delivery. Now I'm doing 30 or 40% delivery of my total sales while still having my on-premises. It's just, it's requiring a lot more kind of smart use of, of limited real estate. I've also seen people who are just doing away with like in-house plated, even if you're eating it in-house, they're not plating food like they're just saying we're going to stick with the to go. Mm-hmm. They're prioritizing they're prioritizing that to go packaging for everything now, mm-hmm. partially because it's impossible to find a dishwasher, uh, but also probably because it's it's stream it streamlines process. Uh, so what happened? Like what what are you doing to combat this at that expo point in the the life cycle of an order? Like what are what are you consulting your clients to do? Yeah, so a lot of it, you know, is starting to look at where's your business coming from, right? Is it mostly pickup? Is it mostly delivery? Do you have a separate entrance for your drivers? I mean, so in an ideal world, you if you have lots of pickup and delivery, you start to split them, which is there's the pickup shelf and then there's the delivery shelf, right? Yeah. And maybe the drivers are coming in the back uh, and that's where they pick up their orders and the guests are coming in the front. So you can actually just split those channels. Um, so they, they come off the line, they go to different parts of the restaurant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. No question. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it'd be almost like if you had a, a 
kind of like a California window or some kind of takeout yes. window where your drivers can come versus your guests uh, walk into the restaurant, right? I was at a Shake Shack a couple months ago, and that's exactly what they were doing is they all the drivers would be outside and they actually like push a little, I'll call it a doorbell, but it was more like a door light because <laughs> yeah. it, it would flash a little signal and they showed up. Yeah. Um, and that's where the drivers came and then the guests came in the front of the house, right? So you, you kind of have a, a, a split earlier in the process right rather than dropping it all off at one shelf and just kind of letting fate happen and that's what i see a lot of operations do is they just have a shelf that they built Mm -hmm. it's like a literally like a baker's rack that or something equivalent to that like in the dining room that's just pickups and it it gets done and it goes over there the driver comes in they find their order and they leave with it Um, yeah and this depends on where you are in the country right and in a lot of more suburban or smaller town areas that works really great right in big cities you know, like New York or LA, I hear restaurants talking about, well, people just steal food, right? They just, they just walk in and grab food. And then that creates a whole issue of like, well, the order's not there, but I made it. But now I have to remake it. And so uh, there's almost this tension now of not putting food out on the shelves and, and almost requiring a guest to come check in with a manager. Um, so how do you, again, build trust in these systems, right? And make it really clear uh, whether it's in terms of signage and wayfinding, like pickup here, delivery here, uh, or, or breaking things out by channel, you know, DoorDash, yeah. Uber Eats. Um, there's a bunch of ways of doing it, but really it, it, it starts with understanding, again, what kind of business are you in and where are your orders coming from? Got it. Um, we didn't talk much about packaging. I know that was a big part of our conversation last time in terms of kitchen uh, is the packaging because uh, that's like the last thing that happens before it goes out of the kitchen and gets put in a package. I know sustainability was a big part and branded packaging was a big part of our conversation. Are there more trends in that direction? Yeah. Yes. So I'd say there's a lot of trends in that direction and then those trends run into reality really quickly. What's that? Um, so the reality is supply chain is still pretty difficult, yeah. right? And you went from a world where I could consistently get my world centric pans or my, you know, eco products materials to now it's like, I'll take any bowl I can get. Yeah. Right. Regardless of whether or not. <laughs> Regardless. It's so, so when you can't even get consistency in terms of the base model, I'll say it's hard to then apply branding on top of that. So really it's not a question of should I brand? It's a question of where should I brand? Right. And, and, probably branding one thing really well, right? Thinking of like that outer bag, right? As being your billboard. I don't necessarily need to emboss the lid of my bowl and have branded napkins and branded straws and and all this stuff. Um, You know, I want one branded thing that I can really focus on, right? Like my bistro bag. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people will use stickers on the outside of a bag Mm -hmm. or they'll have stamps. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you think is like the most cost-effective, impactful way to, to, to get your brand on? Bags. Yeah, if you're if you're just starting out and have really low volume, stickers and stamps can go a long way, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, it might seem expensive on a unit cost to put like a five cent sticker on there, but when you compare that to having to do a minimum run of like ten thousand bags, you just might not have the capital up front yeah. to do that, right? But you still want that value of almost like claiming your bag and taking credit for yeah. like this isn't just a white bag from a cafe. This is you know Scott's Bakery, right? Yeah. And I'm gonna take pride in that so if you're just getting started sticker stamp but if you have the the cash flow and the volume mm-hmm. if you grow to the point as soon as you're able to make that ten thousand bag order that's your custom logo on mm-hmm. bag do that yeah whether it's it's the bag or if you know uh you're a burrito concept maybe it's the wrapper and the parchment paper you use there yeah. but pick pick 
one thing again like we've talked about well pick one thing and do it well right and and don't worry about trying to brand everything um you know you really want to focus on that outer box that outer bag uh the other place to invest in branding is again where your margins are the highest and where you're going to get the most exposure where i'm going with this of course is catering right so if you have a, a decent sized catering business uh you know that might be the place to start right because I'm not just branding it so Eric can see this when he's at home alone on the couch. I'm branding it so that Eric can see this when he's at the office and entertaining 50 people, right? Yeah. So now 50 eyes are on yeah, on that brand. That's a huge opportunity to pick up Absolutely. new clients. Like, this is such a good sandwich that I got, this catering mm-hmm. event. Like, where did this come from? Yeah. Oh, it's right there on the packaging. Exactly. It's right there. I don't know. Like, there's a... a whatever you call those things you put on the table. I can't remember. I'm like a little pop-up thing, you know? Yeah, like a little table, table stand. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Um, okay, so anything else in terms of kitchen? Um, did we talk about the future of kitchen? Is, is there, Are we headed in a direction? Is there new technology? Uh, we haven't talked about two lines. I'm surprised that hasn't come up yet, actually. Having an in-house line that's like there like when i say a line like i'm talking about a food line mm-hmm. um that's taking care of only in-house and then why not put your online in pickup orders in a ghost kitchen or maybe at least your just your delivery orders in a ghost kitchen right like why not have a commissary off-site just to handle that who cares if it's being cooked in the restaurant you're just delivering it anyway like are you seeing more people developing ghost lines I see a lot of restaurants developing second lines within their kitchen, okay. right? Like, so I might set up, uh, a, you know, a temporary make line between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. where that's my busy lunch rush. So when my guests walk in, they're not competing with a ticket, right? Yeah. The guest walks in, immediately they go to the line and they have someone to serve them where the tickets are getting fulfilled on this back line, right? So they're not, they're not competing with each other. If you're fortunate enough to have lots and lots of volume and and great market density there are opportunities to kind of spin out that delivery experience that or even that catering experience into something like a ghost kitchen where um you know you're making these in a totally different place but that requires a lot of volume uh and and i think it's not for every operator i guess is what i'll say got it um, okay, one more quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to talk about logistics and feedback. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. 
Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. Restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. We're back and we've unpackaged uh, the marketplace. We've unpackaged the kitchen. We've gotten into some deep detail there. Now we're going to talk about logistics. And this is really basically delivery logistics after it's been cooked, after it's been packaged, it's ready to leave the house. That's what we mean by logistics, right? Yeah, right. From when it comes off of that make line uh, until it gets to whatever table you're dining at. Again, whether that is self-delivery, right? A guest picking up their order and bringing it back to their home or office or your own drivers taking it from your restaurant to your guests. Um, that's that's that last mile we're talking about. Yeah. So uh, a big part of the conversation two years ago when you were on the show, um, contracting out logistics and do, using services like DoorDash Drive or Relay Delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, has that... So basically, what, what do we mean by this? Well, why don't you tell the listeners what we mean by this? Yeah. So... If you're on a third-party marketplace, the traditional model is that the service is bundled. So when you're paying that 20-30%, you you can say roughly half of that goes to marketing, right? your ability just to be promoted on the marketplace, and the other half of that goes to the logistics. Now, there's an option to split that where you can just pay, call it 10 or 15% for marketing, and then do your own self-delivery. But really, what, what we're seeing is making sure you have again the right logistics for the right channel particularly as catering comes back you know the same drivers that are delivering a $20 order that can fit in a backpack are not the same drivers or even the same logistics service that will be delivering your $1000 order with a setup to your you know VIP corporate client so we're talking about logistics and yeah. and really the the challenge now um, is how do I make sure that I have the right logistics solution for the right channel, right? So if I'm talking about an individual pickup or delivery, right? Typical order value is 40 bucks, let's say, right? That can fit in a backpack, right? I can have, if I'm in New York or in a dense urban area, that delivered by a bicycle, right? Or by, um, let's call it a less trained courier, right? Um, as catering comes back, right? As you're starting to build particularly corporate catering. Or as the orders get bigger. As the orders get bigger, right? Not only does the, the, the dollar value to your business get bigger, um, the size of it gets bigger, of course, right? So uh, you can't fit, well, you shouldn't attempt to fit a $1,000 order on a bicycle. I've seen it done. It's not pretty. Yeah. Um, and not only is it a difference in maybe the vehicle, like a bicycle versus a car, it's also a difference in level of service, right? Um, again, if Joe is ordering pizza, you know, 20 bucks worth of pizza to be delivered at midnight on a Thursday, that's up high, that's up high, right? Yeah. Like you can just drop it off at the door. You might not even see Joe, right? A lot yeah. of these options are contactless delivery. You just brought up a sore subject, but keep going. I don't know what <laughs> um, but that's a different experience than, you know, if you're delivering to a fortune 50 company, um, for a $2,000 order, right? You're not just going to drop that off. You need to go in. You need to go up the elevator. You probably want to set it up buffet style. Make sure that those table toppers are there and that it's all set up right. 
Um, and that just takes more time. And it's a different level of service and level of hospitality than dropping off an individual order. So those might be totally different fleets. Or you might say, um, I'm happy to outsource all the on-demand kind of individual deliveries, but I want my team to deliver any order that's more than $500 because I don't trust anyone else except my you know, general managers or my own team to deliver hospitality. And I think that's a differentiating factor uh, among restaurants is, again, we're talking about food delivery, but really we're still in the hospitality service. So you're delivering hospitality and that just becomes more and more true as you get into bigger orders. Yeah. And I knew um, the first time we spoke, episode 777, we were talking about uh, the, the owning the data. So if you're completely contracting this out and you're from the order deliver or order placement to delivery, like uh, the full service that DoorDash offers, for example, mm-hmm. or Uber Eats offers, you're now not having access to that that data. Um, and that you mentioned data is currency. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are options. Say you want to have the you want to own the transaction, meaning people come through your native platform to to place the order. But once the order is placed, then you can use a service like DoorDash Drive to take it off of your hands. But you're still getting all the customer data, right? Um, are you seeing more services like that develop? More last mile services where everything comes in through your POS, your online marketplace, but it's going out the door through a contracted service. Yes. And and what's changed in particular is maybe pre-pandemic, the only options were the major third parties, right? Now, there have been a proliferation of local courier services, right? There's actually a conference, I think it's called the RMDA, right? Where there are, at this point, hundreds, if not maybe approaching a thousand local courier services. So a courier service that's in Minneapolis only, or that maybe services Southern Louisiana, right? These are logistic services that are stepping in and saying, hey, like, we can deliver for you, right? We can really not just uh, you know provide great service and, and a, a driver that has a uniform, um, but probably at a more competitive price and, and in a way that you can build that local relationship. Yeah. Um, we talked about heated bags. Um, mm-hmm. If you, you know, logistics, like, are you you know, really thinking about that end product. Like what do you, what can you do to make sure that food is as close to what it would be like if you're handing it over to counter versus you were driving it 30 minutes away. Um, I'm, I would imagine the, the technology around bags hasn't really changed. It's getting there. I'd say it's not accessible yet. Okay. So I think Chick-fil-A does this really well, right? They actually have heated bags and there's even, we were, I was at a packaging conference uh, a couple months ago. Uh, there are cooling bags too now. Oh, so you can cool. go really both directions. Uh, the, the smoothie, that smoothie. Market yeah, is really taken off. exactly. Um, what about um, the, the world of electric like transportation? I think mm-hmm. that was something we mentioned the first time and you predicted that the world electric, like obviously we know that's where the world's heading. Uh, fewer moving parts, uh, more sustainable, all these reasons. But has there been a big leap in the past two years in that vertical and specific to delivery? Yeah, I I think Domino's just announced maybe a week or two ago that they've made uh, a commitment to have, I think, what they call the country's largest electric delivery fleet. Um, I forget who they're partnered with. Maybe it's Chevy. Um, But they've really made this commitment, right? They're going to have hundreds of electric delivery vehicles on the road. One of our clients last year um, was working on building an all-electric food delivery vehicle. So I think the transition there is that it's starting to jump into reality. It's no longer just talking about these things, but you're seeing restaurants actually start to make that that investment. 
what about this the world of automation and drones? Like, I'm, as somebody who's a delivery and th- you know, if, if that's your you do delivery logistics, you must be like plugged into that world. Where are we? Like, how far away are we from having a drone drop off a meal on our steps and flying off? I, I don't think we're that close. What about automation, car automation, an automated transportation system, like on the roads? Yeah, I, I'm. I don't. I don't hold my breath too much on that in the short run. I think we will get there. I think it's probably still five years away. In, well, in do any... you make it sound like that's a long time? <laughs> <laughs> you really think we're going to have automated cars with no people driving around in five years? Not the automated cars, but you're going to see this. Well, I'll, I'll take a step back. Where you are already seeing it are on closed campuses, right? Okay. And they're not cars. They're the little delivery robots. Yeah. Like so the, those robots that you see. Exactly. Like, yeah, so like sidewalk robots. I think you're you're seeing these in more controlled environments. So whether it's within uh, a hospital or within a college campus, um, that's where you're going to see the automation start, right? And I think it's going to be on the ground before it's in it's the private air. Property. Right, because it's private property. Um, the maps are are more static, right, of, of where you go and, and the route patterns. It's not like you're trying to navigate you know, down, down a New York City street, which would... You know, that's maybe 15 years away. So um, when it comes to that, that kind of last mile automation, I think you're seeing it for the, you know, the individual orders, not for the catering orders. You're seeing it happen on the ground, you know, in closed campuses. Um, and that's where it'll start. Uh, as far as, you know, more traditional cars or last mile logistics where I'm delivering across town, you know, the electrification is is starting, right? That's starting to happen. Um, but I'm I'm not looking... I'm not spending too much time on on drones and and automating that that last mile logistics yet. Yeah. Um, what's the biggest thing holding us back, in your opinion, from getting to that point? Because I mean, if you think about it, as much as I do, I like to drive a car, I'm not going to lie. I enjoy driving. I find it meditative. Um, but at the same time, like I chose to take the train to New York because I knew I could get six hours of inter- uninterrupted work done. Mm-hmm. And there's something that's really nice about this idea of just getting in a car. And like pushing, like you know, putting your destination in, and like kicking back, and maybe enjoying a glass of wine on your way to like a nice night out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, what's holding us back from getting to that point? Because the technology's there. It's not a matter of not, we don't have the technology. We have the technology. What's is it? Regulation? Is it big corporations that are afraid of competing? Like creating? Like what's going on there? What do you think? I think there's a lot of questions of regulation, whether it's yeah. automated vehicles or drones. Both of those are um, regulated entities, if you will. Yeah. Um, I think there's a level of trust, right? You know, to your point, okay, so you aren't driving your car, but everyone else on the road is driving theirs. And so how do we start to interface between automated vehicles versus the humans human are the problem. driven vehicles. I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm, I'm team human, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, well, I mean, at the same time, but like, no, like, as far as like, I'm a former commercial pilot, mm-hmm. um, the autopilot flies that plane much better than the, the mm-hmm. pilot does. Everything I, except I would, take up a landing, right? I really, a couple feet above the runway, you know, it's like, I think it's a thousand feet on takeoff after a thousand wow. feet autopilot. And on landing, if you're in like IFR conditions where you can't see in the planes, like you can go down to literally like a few, like maybe 10 feet above the runway. Wow. And if you can't see the airport at 10 feet above the runway, then you have to go around. But the technology, the point I'm making is the technology there. And if we had everything, Everything on the technological grid would be a much safer place too, because everything's connected. But it's the humans that really kind of throw a wrench in the system. And if you start telling some cowboys that they can't, 
drive their car or their pickup truck anymore, then the guns are going to come out. You know what I'm saying? I think that's probably what's holding it back, if I, if I had to guess. Then the other thing is is just the capital investment, right? Yeah. The technology, I mean, like any new technology, it's still it's a, not cheap and yeah, it's not accessible. Yeah. If everybody right? has to, if, in order for this to work, everybody has to be doing it. Well, not everybody has the resources to make that happen. Correct. That's why you're seeing, you know, companies like Domino's are yeah. the first movers, right? Yeah. They have the both capital, kind of the, the yeah. capital and, and the technological leadership. I mean, Domino's is a technology company yeah. at the end of the day that happens to make pizza. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it makes sense for them because they have you know, to your point, that network and that foundation to be able to add this in. Yeah. During our first conversation, the conver- uh, the, the topic of reusables came up. I kind of feel like this might be in the world of kitchens because it's packaging, but it's also in the world of, of logistics because it's not happening within. It's coming from the outside into the restaurant. So what do I mean by reusables? Yeah. So reusables, we're really talking about closed loop logistics or reverse logistics is how do I, you know, much like the milkman, get that milk bottle back, right? Uh, it takes a lot of energy to make a bottle, um, and rather than throwing it away after one use, I want to reuse it a hundred times or a thousand times if I can. The other thing that I think that has really shifted, and I won't say it's, it's a new thing, but it's, it's become more mainstream over the last couple of years, is the impact of plastics, right? And really, uh, the materials that we're using in our packaging. So whether you're talking about the different liners that go in compostable bowls, or you're talking about um, plastics versus paper, um, those are still all single-use, kind of one-time materials. So what we're seeing a lot of, um, again, similar to the drones, or not the drones, the robots, how they're starting in closed-loop campuses, are more sustainable, reusable materials. So thinking about... um, non-traditional food service arenas uh areas like like an arena a sports field or uh, a concert venue um how do i make sure that those are all aluminum cups or stainless steel cups uh, as opposed to plastic right and that doesn't even mean that you necessarily have to wash them and reuse them on their on site but noting that aluminum is something like 90 percent recycled here in the country right it's one of the most highly recycled most you know recoverable materials as opposed to plastic while technically recyclable there's now all the awareness around microplastics is even though you recycle it you still have to you know it still exists in the world you still break it down and it gets shredded and it's not as recovered um, or maybe you put it in a landfill and then in a hundred years it starts to leach out into the groundwater. You're, the environmental engineering me is kicking in oh, now. I know. <laughs> That's right. the world I come from. Yeah. Too many, too many years on landfills. And I got to give Scott props. While he was going on that ad lib tear, I was playing with cameras and setting up uh, external battery sources to one of these cameras. that's getting low. My videographer is not with me today, so I'm kind of juggling these responsibilities. And you're doing a great job. And you did a great job just going while I was playing with things. <laughs> we didn't have to do any editing either. It's going to be awesome. But I'm super excited for this idea of reusables because... I think it's just a social right thing to do. Like we as a society have gotten so consumed by convenience that mm-hmm. we're so fucking spoiled by it. And we just create so much waste and we're just like, we're, we're destroying the planet because of, of convenience because Hey, like I'm going to the grocery store and, or I'm going to the, I'm going to take, get takeout. You're giving me this, this single box that I'm going to use a plastic bag for because holding with two hands or even just one hand is more difficult than holding a handle on a bag Mm -hmm. like you know what i'm saying it's just like why why are we doing these things and if you take it even further um you want to go get food like go bring your container you know like 
and I think that's great because that's also now lowering the restaurant's operational expense. And, and that's the way to look at it, right? Yeah. Is not, oh, how much more do I have to add in order to introduce a reusable system? It's, you know, that's 5% of your P&L, maybe yeah. 7% of your P&L. I mean, packaging is only getting, let me say, let me specify, single-use packaging is only getting more expensive, particularly as, you know, international supply chains become difficult, right? We, you know, we're seeing the effect of having your packaging held up outside of a port in LA, right? We're seeing the effect of geopolitics starting to influence, uh, you know, where you can actually purchase packaging from. And the cost of single-use packaging has gone up, right? Yeah. Whereas on the other side, the cost of reusables is coming down, right? As more companies invest in that, right? Yeah. The, the Ball Corporation recently made a, a big investment in aluminum cans because they understand that it is infinitely recyclable is, yeah. the, is the term they use. Yeah. So what's the best practice here? Is it to encourage your consumer to go out and buy packaging and bring it in? Or are you basically saying, hey, if you want to be a part of our system, you need to use our packaging. Here's a packaging. It's going to be a one-time $1 fee. Um, but I think at the same time, like this, if if we're moving into this world of conscious capitalism and you, and you want to appeal to that market of conscious consumers, this is a huge leg up. Like people are going to People are going to be so proud to walk across the parking lot with that reusable, like, or, like package, like so the whole world can see their purchasing decisions and mm-hmm. how they, you know, like the psychographics behind that, and like, look at me, I'm special, I'm thoughtful, I care. People vote with their dollar. Yeah, um, I just think that's a huge opportunity, and I think if more people, like, I think we're so reactive, and once you realize that, like, the world, um, we live in a very uh, the. Culture is exponential. It Im- improves exponentially or changes exponentially. So if the restaurant industry started commuting and saying or communicating and started saying, "Hey, you know, like let's just make this normal. Like let's 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 take one less thing off our plate and make it like the the public responsibility." Um, and we just start putting our foot down and start doing it and collectively do it together and make it normal. Like these things could happen faster than we think. Absolutely. And, and I think that's what excites me is when I meet a restaurateur that wants to uh, outpace regulation, if you will. You know, I was I was talking with a, a coffee shop operator up in uh, West Harlem and of his own volition, you know, because it's the ethical thing to do, it's the right thing to do. It's a better experience oftentimes is he's moving his whole coffee program to reusable. It's if you come in, you need to bring your own mug. If you don't bring your own mug, you know, starting and he's been messaging this to his clients, like starting August 1st, you know, 2023, we will no longer offer single use cups. Yeah. Right. And he's, he's just drawn a line in the sand. He's like, I'm done but with the it. germs associated with that, man. There's a pandemic going on. I know. Right. <laughs> um, but there, there, are, there are ways of addressing that again, whether it's, you know, bringing your own in or um, having kind of a, a, a hot swap option where, you know, you bring a cup and that one goes in the dirty bin and then I bring a, a cup out of the cleaning um, the other thing is is recognizing it's not just the cost of that single use versus reusable. It's not just the experience of having the guest do the dishwashing, <laughs> if you will. Um, it's all the time associated with this, the stocking and the restocking and the unboxing and the repackaging. There's a big labor component to single use packaging that we don't talk about, which is it takes a lot of time and physical real estate for your employees to have to manage uh, the boxes and boxes of single-use packaging. Um, so when you're talking about reusables, there are many layers to the experience. I think the first one, to your point, 
is recognizing that that's where the consumer trend is going, right? And people will start to make decisions on do I go to coffee shop A or coffee shop B? And, you know, the coffee shops, you know, the coffee's equivalent, the branding is similar, and one offers a single use plastic uh, iced coffee cup versus the other one offers uh, a reusable program, or maybe I get a, a dollar off by bringing my own cup. I'm going to go there, right? I'm going to start to compete based on sustainability or compete based on reusability and attract those guests and make that a point of differentiation. Yeah. Who's the most woke, right? <laughs> yeah. The most woke, but also uh, just recognizing that it's a better experience, yeah. right? I mean, it's... But at the end of the day, we're going out for experiences. And if eating at your restaurant and being a part of your cultural norms makes me feel better because I'm contributing to a better world, mm-hmm. then that counts yeah. as part of the experience. It's, and, all, it's also like the old trick of uh, you know when you print your resume, you print it on heavier cardstock because it feels weightier. And so the person holding it takes it more seriously and, and judges you more seriously. Based, yeah. I don't know if you've heard of this, this trick. Yeah, yeah, psychographic. You know, having a, uh, a nice glass mug or uh, an aluminum cup right um you know just feels better than kind of like a a flimsy paper cup right and so you're you're starting to tap into that that older fine dining experience where i have a linen napkin i have a real fork i have a real cup that i that has weight to it and i feel like uh you know it's a more valuable experience yeah. if you will yeah anything else around logistics um i don't know if we covered uh, the future of logistics if there's anything that's exciting that we should be aware of before we move on to feedback no just just like anything else it's, it's know what game you're in right know what business you're, you're in and who your customers are right and and design the logistics to match that you know the same way that you choose your marketplace based on your guests you design your kitchen based on the experience you're trying to deliver. You design your logistics to support that. So if you're a fine dining restaurant and you're going to offer catering, your driver should have a uniform on, right? And and you want to design that. But if, again, you're serving a lot of $5 burritos and they're just drop off and it's about efficiency and speed, you know, those might be robots. Yeah. Uh, and again, I think we're just seeing this this kind of polarization of of the restaurant industry is the ones in the middle that are just kind of doing a, something mediocre and not putting a lot of thought into it are the ones that won't be around as long. What are some examples? This is one thing I'm actually kind of curious about. If you are, cause you, you, you hear the word delivery and fine dining and it's like, vinegar, like it's like, you know, like it doesn't mix, you mm-hmm. know, uh, was it vinegar and oil? Is that the, yeah. it just doesn't mix. So I'm curious what, when it comes to fine dining delivery, what are some of the extreme things you're seeing people do to like really communicate fine dining like what are the, like what is fine dining delivery look like give us one example before we move on to feedback yeah to, to tie it all together you know it looks like consistent high quality packaging with a driver that can deliver hospitality what is delivering like what is a delivery like how do you do that like who like how does driving a car and delivering hospitality is it like the actually when you get to the front door like what is delivering hospitality at the front door look like yeah um you have a smile, yeah. right? You, 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 you say, you, you address the guest by name, like, hey, John, right? Like, I have an order for you, right? Yeah. Uh, wow, you, you know my name? Are uh, they wearing a suit or at least a nice shirt? <laughs> is there a uniform involved with that? I, there's, there's some kind of uniform. Again, yeah. the uniform might be, you know, a fancy suit if you're really kind of... have a white glove when they hand it to you? <laughs> having that. It might also just be, you know, having a, a hat on, right? So yeah. it's not only about delivering hospitality in the traditional like service with a smile it's again building trust right 
I want to know that this is a driver who didn't put their hands in my French fries, right? I want to know that this is a driver from my restaurant and not some dude who's just trying to like, you know, get into my house, right? It's not a new person every time. It's familiar. Correct. Right. You know, I think, um, you know, again, to go back to someone who does this really well is Chick-fil-A, right? They have their own drivers. They're in a uniform. I've had friends who have ordered from Chick-fil-A and it wasn't just the driver, but the manager showed up. They're like, they're training their drivers and they're like, hey, we just wanted to take a minute. Uh, we're trying out some some new packaging with our, our, our cups. We put this little sticker over the the straw hole on a fountain drink. What do you think about that? Does, does that make you trust us more? And yeah. she, she was blown away. Like, wow, you, you really care this much? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we do. Yeah. We, we care this much and that's how we're delivering more than just food. But like what's also stopping a delivery person, like if you really want to go over the top with like fine dining delivery, to be like, hey, can I come in and plate this for you? Eventually, I think that that's where it's going to go. Yeah. And and it's not going to be for everybody and it's not going to be for every restaurant. But, but it's uh, in those niches that there's going to be opportunity. That's exactly right. It's yeah. in those, those, those spot markets of those pocket opportunities, which is, um, you know, you've seen this in catering, right? Where the the driver comes in and they actually set up the whole buffet. But maybe you're having a Friendsgiving for 10 people or hosting a little house party. And, you know, the same way that the Walmart driver might come in and stock your fridge, your delivery driver can actually come in and, you know, plate the food and light the candles. And, you know, is there anything else, madame? Right. And then they leave. Right. And maybe you're paying for that. Maybe it's just included in the overall price point of the menu item. Uh, but there really are ways to start to differentiate yourself and, and really move delivery into uh, the world of hospitality. All right. Awesome. Well done. Time to move on to feedback. This is the last pillar we're going to be talking about today. Uh, then we're going to talk a little bit about sustainability and we're going to wrap it up. So feedback. Last time you were on the show, a big part of our conversation was around surveys uh, and systems around surveys. And basically, the, how often are you asking? It's a pretty short section. Mm-hmm. Is that still the case? Is, has feedback evolved a lot in the past two years? And what do I even mean by feedback? Yeah. What do you mean by feedback? So to use the dine-in version as a, a proxy, and then we'll talk about how that translates to delivery. This is the role of your general manager, right? Or of your assistant manager, your front of house manager, depending on how you have your, your restaurant set up, is touching tables, right? Is what we would call that. You know, you go around and you say, hey, how was your meal, right? Can we get you a bottle of wine? You know, can I, can I do anything else for you, right? Is you're, you're kind of taking that extra step of not just serving food, but delivering you know, hospitality in the restaurant. And if there's an issue, they say, ah, uh, you know, the salad is a little overdressed or the salmon is a little too salty or like, you know, this wine really isn't doing it for me or the server like, was kind of rude to me. They'll be like, oh, well, let me just copy that, right? I'll just comp your, your salad or I'll give you a free dessert or um, I'll take that that back to the chef and let them know, right? And, and we'll, we'll get that cleaned up, right? You're always asking for feedback because that one meal might be the only touch point they have with your restaurant. And so you can't afford for it to be a bad experience, which is yeah. why, you know, again, we're in the service industry, we're in the hospitality industry. Um, your front of house is trained to, to make sure that everybody has a good time, right? Yeah. But when you deliver, it's almost like you're just dumping food into a void, right? If you're not proactively asking for that feedback because what happens is maybe it gets delivered maybe it doesn't and people aren't going to tell you when it's great or when it's okay they're going to tell you when it's terrible right and so you want to do two things one you want to make sure that they have ways to speak directly to you and provide that feedback uh, again good bad or sideways straight to you rather than you know blowing you up on on instagram or blowing you up on 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 Yelp by leaving you a, a terrible review. 
the second thing you want to do is make sure that you are aware of of your online reviews right whether they're good good or bad is uh are you interacting with them right you know we're social creatures right the way that you find a new restaurant other than saying restaurants near me on google is you ask your buddy hey any, any good restaurants you've been to lately right we're going out for dinner i'm looking for something new uh you know any good places right and they say oh yeah go to go to the sushi place and you're like great i'll go to the sushi place the digital equivalent of that is looking at what other people are saying about you, right? You read reviews. You look at, oh, 2.3 stars on Google? Like, maybe I'll go to the 4.6 star restaurant. Yeah. Um, and you look at those and you say, wow, you know, the service was amazing. I hate the fact or, that that's right, by the way, because like I'm guilty <laughs> of doing this. Like 0.3 stars is a huge mm-hmm, difference. Mm-hmm. It is such a huge difference. It matters. I literally, because I'm always on the road, and that's how I figure out where like, I go into google i type the word food mm-hmm. and i look for ratings mm-hmm. and 0.3 stars will be a deal breaker it's it's crazy it but it's true crazy. yeah and, and 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 it's just recognizing that that's the playing field right yeah. and and so you want to make sure that you're engaging with that feedback um but you want to be pr- ideally you're being proactive about it so whether it's sending out a survey or um, in the in the case of catering, right, actually just picking up the phone and calling your guests and, and building that relationship, um, you, you just need to make sure at, that you are engaging in feedback to start. Um, we were talking about third-party marketplaces earlier and, and how the algorithms are constantly shifting and evolving. Um, now, I think it's Uber Eats in particular does this, maybe some of the other platforms. Um, guests can rate individual items, wow. right? So I'm not just rating the Pop restaurant. Menu does this. Pop Menu does this. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a great example, yeah. right? Um, is you're saying, wow, the burrito was great, the fries were not great, the tres leches was okay. Okay, wow, that's like a, a whole nother level of feedback. Yeah, yeah. Um, and oftentimes, restaurants aren't even looking at it, right? Or they don't know it's there, or they're getting so many orders and nobody's focused on that, that it's just like, uh, it feels like another thing to do. Um but it's real to your guests, right? They're the ones who are looking at you know most popular items, the the ratings on Google, um, and so really you want to just get ahead of it and make sure that you are asking for feedback often, um, and that you are engaging with feedback, good or bad, right? Even if it's a bad review, just responding to it and showing not only that guest that you care, you're showing other guests that you care because you might look at a Google review and see that. You know, John rated it two stars, but then the general manager came back and actually commented on that. And they're like, "Wow, like this is not representative of who we are." Um, you know, we're gonna comp your meal, and uh, by the way, here's a coupon, right? Or they they engage in some way to show that they care about it, right? Yeah, yeah. I know you want to talk about sustainability, so what do you specifically want to talk about? Set us up, and let's get into it. Yeah, I mean, to keep the end in mind, right? We're really talking about financial sustainability. That's where it comes down to. You know, the phrase, if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense, applies to delivery as much as anything else. Um, but this is where you say, okay, well, financial sustainability, like that's kind of an amorphous thing. That's what we all want. I mean, it's, you know, we want profit. We want it to be at a high margin. How do you actually get it? Right. So when I talk about engineering sustainability, this is where it really kicks in. So we've talked about uh, the three elements of any system are humans, hardware, and software. So you can start to look at how do I make each of those elements sustainable? And that builds me towards financial sustainability. So human sustainability, right? Am I creating jobs, whether that's for the delivery driver or for my general manager or my kitchen staff that are that are good jobs where it feels like 
they're able to come in and and be set up for success and not be you know managing 20 different technology systems and five tablets and yeah. you know just constantly working for the machine that the machine is working for them right so really looking at what are you know your human systems and starting there so what is that so i mean what are the big if people want to move the needle on sustainability in terms of human sustainability what are the the, the three things we can do to to move the needle in that front yeah so so the first one you know we talked about you know in the marketplace really just making sure that that menu is easy to order from and that you're really designing that guest experience in a way that's just simple and easy when you're talking about humans in the kitchen is taking the time to you know integrate all your orders into one point of sale um, and and set up your tickets and your KDS in a way that you're not running around managing the tickets, but that the tickets pop up where they're supposed to and when they're supposed to. Uh, I don't know how many times we're editing menus uh, just to make them more readable by the kitchen staff. Yeah. Right? Get specific, though. Give me two verticals and two tech stacks to execute what you're saying we should do, like two paths if you and say which path is right for which type of restaurant. Yeah, so if you're a fast casual restaurant, right, you really want to make sure that that you have all of your multiple marketplaces integrated into one point of sale and that when those orders pop up on the ticket that they are matching the order in which your line is set up yeah. that they are readable in terms of you know kitchen speak right so it's printing to the right line printing like, to the right line so in the right or, order if it's, if it's a delivery it's going to the, the delivery line mm-hmm. in this sequence mm-hmm. okay um and then uh again for your drivers you're you're setting them up for success right if you have your own fleet um and drawing your zones to where they can be out and back in 10 or 15 minutes right you're not setting them up to say oh you got to drive 20 miles away to deliver this one order um, you're really thinking through that human experience, so they're not under this crazy pressure any more than they naturally yeah, are. So you're not on the road for an hour to take two deliveries and you make correct. $10 yeah, the only only way that makes sense is if it's for catering, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so really, again, just remembering that we are in hospitality. Food service is all about feeding people, and just again, I'm, I'm team human here. As much as we have to get in technology, just keeping that front of mind, right? Yeah. That that's really where it starts. And are there any other verticals in the terms of sustainability that you want to touch on? Well, moving from humans to talk about hardware, right, is then, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, your packaging and, and making sure that uh, you're not just throwing in the straws and the napkins and the extra ketchups just because that's the easy thing to do, what you used to do. Um, really taking a moment to say, like, do I need to send that to them, right? Our guests actually, you know, requesting utensils i mean so many times people say like they'll actively say no utensils and then i still get utensils right little things like that add up yeah. um talk about software sustainability right this is why first party first matters is you want the addresses of where your guests live right so you can use that to target them with ads on facebook or that you can um you or know, even mailers send like, them a mailer right yeah like, exactly physical like how like what is the most opened form of marketing people would argue text message mm-hmm. or argue your mailbox yeah probably gets open Th- those are probably one and two email yeah. email not being that yeah exactly <laughs> but like and i think it's so juxtaposed today like people aren't expecting to get a mail mm-hmm. something a birthday card or whatever in the mail like people just don't do that anymore so when your favorite restaurant sends you something in the mail you're actually going to be excited to see that mm-hmm. you know like the people are going to open that you know maybe it's 
the ROI isn't that great because you have to pay for the packaging, but I think it's going to hit harder. Yeah. And then, and then really looking at, again, um, are you pricing and, and making sure that you have increased your check size as high as you can for this delivery, right? In that the cost of delivery, if you're doing it on your own, is fixed, right? Or even if you're on a third party, have you raised your prices on third party relative to first party, right? Um, a few years ago, this was more of a taboo subject. And now it's much more commonplace, right? Yeah. Where you can have differentiated pricing on, on third parties versus first pay parties. The, pay the fee on to the consumer. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, there's no shame in that. It's an, for you, it's an operational expense that should get factored into the cost. That's right. And to the there's point no about being quality and, and focusing on a few things is I would much rather send out fewer deliveries that are profitable than lots of deliveries where my team is running around and we're sending out a bunch of utensils and not making any money on them, yeah. right? It's like really just taking a step back and, and understanding that you're in the hospitality business and delivery is just a part of that. Got it. Scott, this has been a lot of fun, man. Um, am I cutting you short? Is there anything that you have not gotten out that you're really hoping to get out in today's conversation? Just that it's possible, right? It, 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 there's a lot of steps that go into this and we've talked about a number of things here and you know, we've worked with hundreds of restaurants over the last couple of years all across the country and you know, they're all facing a lot of the same challenges, whether you're mom and pop with one restaurant or uh, a restaurant that's been around for 30 years and has 100 locations, right? Um, and you know, to your point about who are the people that are helping and who are putting out these resources, you know, that's why we're here, right? This yeah. is why we exist. We're here to help. We're here to serve the restaurant industry and help make delivery ultimately a sustainable part of your business. Yeah. I've had a lot of fun talking to you. Uh, we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who's really impressing you right now? Operationally killing it. Somebody that if we were to listen to this person, we would absolutely learn a thing or two. Who's really doing it right? Yeah. You should talk to Jordan Johnson, right? Uh, who's the founder of Naked Farmer. <laughs> Where's that base? Yeah, they're based out of Tampa, but okay. they actually opened up their third location in their second market in Miami. And I think they'll have maybe four more next year. So they're, they're growing very quickly. Um, they focus on working directly with farmers and, and sourcing local vegetables. Um, Jordan has very much a, a human first approach, you know, even for a fast casual restaurant of treating, you know, his staff you know, in the right way, taking care of his guests, um, and, and doing a lot of the right things and is just a ball of energy. So, um, highly recommend that you have on the show. Jordan, look out, I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And how can we connect it to you? If we really enjoyed today's conversation, maybe we want to hire you contract. I mean, this can be a complicated thing and mm-hmm. let's be honest, restaurant owners gives a good chance. If you open a restaurant, it wasn't so you could geek out on delivery logistics and technology. That's probably mm-hmm. not your passion. So, I highly recommend outsourcing for things like this. You can't be an expert in everything. Stick to what you know. And how can we connect with you if we want that help, if we need that help, if we need that guidance? Yeah. The easiest way, you know, we talked about text message is we have a hotline. You can text us 212-888-7700 or just find our website at figure8.delivery. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I'm not sure what episode number this is going to be. So make sure you're paying attention to the episode number. Um, and just head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash whatever that episode number is. We'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as any links to tools or services and how to connect with Scott over there. Again, Scott, thank you so much for taking the time. There is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. Thanks for having me. Cheers. 
There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Scott Landers, for coming on the show for a second time and going deep into what's changed in the world of delivery, specifically last mile delivery, third party delivery. Uh, this guy is a wealth of knowledge. And if you want to work with Scott Landers and figure eight, they are going to pay me a commission for anybody I send their way. And I just cannot say thank you enough for them for being willing to support this podcast. And these are the tools and services I'd be re- recommending regardless of whether or not they're going to pay me a commission. But I just ask, I say, Hey, if I send people your way, will you support the show? And if they are willing to support the show, then why not earn a commission? So if you want to work with Scott over at at figure eight logistics head over to restaurant unstoppable.com slash figure eight there'll be a pop-up there for you to enter your name and your email then i will make a personal introduction on your behalf to make sure you're being connected with them and they, and they know you're coming from restaurant unstoppable so uh yeah can't say goodbye without reminding you that we need your support you can work with figure eight AKA use our affiliates, click our sponsor links, share this podcast with everybody and anyone you know aspiring to be great in the restaurant industry. And you can come hang out in Restaurant Unstoppable Network where I'm connecting my guests with each other, my guests with my, our, our listeners, and all the tools and services they've been recommending organically in nearly 1,000 episodes at the network. We're here to help each other. We're here to support each other. We're here to share knowledge. And it's just a dollar a day. And I'll have experts in the network every week to answer your questions. And I cannot say goodbye without saying thank you to the people who help make this podcast possible. Jared Parisi over at Sumadre Podcast for your copy and editing. And Sam Hall over at SavInSam.com for your videography, traveling on the road with me. And uh, your social media support. And I, I'm just so grateful for the support I've gotten from these two dudes uh, over the past year. Uh, excited for 2023. And I, I can't do it alone. That's it for today. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out. <laughs>